Hey, neighbors. I'm Gracie. I'm Stephanie. And we're your spooky neighbors. So today we have another local favorite for you. It is Felt Mansion and the Melonheads. Ooh, that sounds like a band name. <laughs> it kind of does sound like a band name. I, I'm for it. I like it. I think we should keep it. <laughs> what genre should we be? Psychopunk rock. Ooh. Psycho yeah. ADHD part, pop punk party rock. <laughs> that sounds great. I mean, I can do the ADHD. <laughs> Dope. <laughs> And like, whoa, kind of psychedelic part. Right? A little bit. Easily distraction. Oh, easily distracted. Yeah. We've got that covered so good. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I have heard quite a few um, personal experiences around Felt Mansion, people that have grown up in the area and things that they have seen, some people that have worked at Felt Mansion, maybe some ghost that they have encountered. And I'll share a few of these with you, as well as uh, some of the history and a ton of folklore. We've got some hauntings and all sorts of cool stuff around this uh, really incredible place. This sounds like a really action-packed episode. Yeah. You ready to dive in? I sure am. Well, we are starting with the melonheads. What are melonheads, you ask? Hmm. Melonheads are described as small humanoids with bald, bulbous heads that are out of proportion with the rest of their bodies. They're small and frail with crooked, gnarly, razor-sharp teeth, spindly long appendages, and glowing eyes? Whoa! That sounds like something straight out of Goosebumps. Seriously. Doesn't it? It does. (laughs) They occasionally emerge from hiding places and attack people. They survive. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) You would. Would you also survive by eating small animals? Stray cats? Human flesh? No, it was just a joke. (laughs) 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 I think they prefer the flesh of teenagers, mainly those teenagers that go hunting for melon heads. Oh, thank God we passed that. Some teenagers may have not. Oh, wow. Do, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Mm. no, that was one of the stories that I heard about that my, um, one of my friends that grew up around the area, that's what they did in high school as like a pastime. They would go melon head hunting, like go out in the woods with some axes and baseball bats and go searching for melon heads. <laughs> that has such a Stranger Things vibe. I love it. Yeah, like it is, but like, that's so fucked up. That, that's, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm for it for the, the Stranger Things vibe. Sure, but, but like... to attack small... People. People. Humans. Humanoids. Like, maybe, like, disformed people that... Yeah, so I feel like this is also going to be kind of um, a little bit controversial as well of I a topic. Think so. I so think we'll so. tread lightly and keep it lighthearted, mm-hmm. as per usual. Mm-hmm. So in our research, we have found a few different origins of the melon heads, some from Michigan, some from Ohio, Connecticut, and the first sightings that trace as far back to the mid-19th century in Germany and England. There's one that says that an inbred family known as Weebleheads were said to live outside Ristbury, England. Other locations are typically found on the outskirts of town in a heavily wooded country road area. So building off from the idea that melonheads have lived in more rural settings, there is a theory that the term melonheads stems from the word melangin, 
So they are uh, people of mixed race and have an ancestry stemming back to European outcasts, like freed slaves, Native Americans, and they kept to themselves. So basically, in this modern day terminology, it would be like, you know, considered mixed race. Yeah. So these people wanted to keep to themselves, so they just retreated back. Yeah, it's or like, they, you know, I mean, like back in time, like no, like, back in like the, they retreated into their own kind of societies. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So they just wanted to keep away from the people that were just like, oh my gosh, you are of mixed blood. You are a melangin. 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 <laughs> yeah. So how did the melon heads end up in Connecticut, Ohio, Michigan? Well, we have a few different versions of the backstories to share with you. The Melonhead stories surfaced in Connecticut around World War II at a time where people moved from cities to the suburbs. According to one theory, the Melonheads are descendants of a colonial-era family from the Shelton Tumble town of Connecticut. The family was banished from the settlement after being accused of witchcraft. As a result, they were forced to live in the woods. They remained far removed from society, keeping to themselves, and since they could not interact with other people in town in order to survive and carry out their family bloodline. Oh, no. (laughs) They inbred with one another. Oh, no. No, no. Yeah. The resulting children were deformed and continued inbreeding throughout the centuries until their descendants slowly mutated into oddly shaped beings, which became what we now know them as melonheads. According to another theory from Connecticut, in Farfield County, there was a location of an asylum for the criminally insane, and it burned down to the ground in 1960, resulting in the death of all of the staff. Several of the inmates' bodies were never found, so it's suspected that they escaped the fire and settled in the surrounding woods. They hunted small animals for food, and in the harsh winter, that would make things more difficult, since food sources were scarce. So they resorted to slaying and consuming the hikers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whoa. The escaped inmates continued to live in isolation in the woods. And after some time, can you guess what they did? Yeah, you guessed it. Mm-hmm. Inbreeding. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. And again, it caused the next generation to develop deformities, such as hydrocephalus. A condition in which fluid accumulates in the brain causes one's head to swell and sometimes can cause brain damage. Whoa. So it checks out. Inbreeding, I think there is a 10% chance that the offspring will develop hydrocephalus. Yeah, there's statistics about this, right? It's a thing. It can happen. It's a thing. So there is some truth to this. If only that. But, okay, just, like, on the side note, uh, like, before we continue the story, so far, everything is kind of consistent. And I'm sure that as we get to different areas, I wonder, I wonder about how those consistencies will continue. I know, yeah. So we're going to keep tabs on all of these, like, common things because, like, throughout all of the different states, I think we might see some similarities between the stories. Yeah, so everyone, tab that right now Mm -hmm. in your brain file. Yeah, so um, in this one, on the rare occasions that outsiders were to come into contact with them, they would call them melon heads based on their appearance. So, I mean. That's rude. Well, if their heads are, yeah. It is rude. Yeah, you know what? It's rude. It's rude, but I can see where they get that because that's what it looks like. I feel, and I would like to think 
and hope for humanity that we have gotten better with saying like, you know, when we notice that someone is different, that we have something much kinder to say. I think like, as an overall, I think we do definitely at this point in time. Um, in the World War II era, definitely not. <laughs> no. And that's where we're at right now. So we're going to use this yeah. as like a comparison to like <laughs> how society would generalize people that are different at that time compared to yep. this time, which I don't know. I love I love seeing the the bettering of society. The evolution. We have gone on an evolution, people. Like, whoa. We're doing good. We're doing a lot better, that's for sure. So we have some more stories from this area of Connecticut. Um, one part uh, tells us about this forested area with long, dark country roads. The melon heads are said to have been lurking around this area. Locals will refer to some of these roads as one mysterious and mythical street they call Dracula Drive. Whoa. We have a story from Megan O'Connell who encountered something terrifying. She calls it the Blue Granada. According to this legend, back in the 1980s, Megan and a group of her friends from Notre Dame High School decided to drive around after a Friday night football game. In search of a fun adventure, they piled into a blue Granada and ended up on Velvet Street in Trumbull, a part of Dracula Drive, where they looked for melon heads. The girls parked at the car, left the headlights on, and left the doors open, and they ventured into the woods. After they walked a couple of hundred feet, the car door slammed, and stunned, they ran back to where the car was parked, and then, just before they reached the vehicle, the engine started. The headlights flashed, and suddenly the car was barreling towards them. Oh no. They took cover, and as the car drove by, they could see these figures inside. They were the size of children with large heads and rags for clothing and orange glowing in their eyes. Okay, no, okay. I know I said that that was the Goosebumps vibe in the beginning, but this is the Goosebumps vibe now. That's like the this, Goosebumps TV show. Is it like <laughs> we're there? They were living it right then and right? there. Wow. Some say that the melon heads still drive that blue Granada like maniacs late at night. I drive like a maniac. <laughs> I can I'm vouch for this. <laughs> it's true. She's not a melon head, but she does drive like a maniac. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy my rides with Grace. Everyone else is like, please, for the love of God, let me get out of the car. <laughs> so next we're moving up to Ohio. And according to that local lore, the melon heads were originally orphans under the watch of the mysterious figure known as Dr. Crow. Dr. Crow. Mm-hmm. His, uh, the spelling of his name is several different uh, ways. It's C-R-O-W, C-R-O-W-E, K-R-O-H-E, and K-R-O-H. Or, or <laughs> Dr. Melonhead. Dr. Melonhead. We're going to go with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Dr. Crow is badass because I crows are love awesome. It. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. So there are two versions of the story which make up the Dr. Crow. He's kind of like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And one telling mm -hmm. of the story is a good side and the other is something a bit more sinister. Mm. In the mad scientist telling of the story, Dr. Crow lived in a secluded house on Wisner Road in Kirkland, Ohio, an eastern suburb of Cleveland. Some say that he was married and that his wife was unable to have children. Other accounts say that Dr. Crow did have children who suffered from hydrocephalus. And that caused their children to be severely disfigured. But as the story goes, Dr. Crow was said to be the guardian of many orphan children. Or perhaps he was the staff physician? 
This is where the story gets really suspicious because there are no records of an orphanage ever being in the area. So take from it what you will. Dr. Crow may not have been the real doctor, or he may have been stripped of his medical license, but that didn't stop him from his work. He began to perform horrifying medical experiments and injected fluid into the brains, causing the characteristic swollen skull. Dr. Crow... in the first place, why? Just like for experimentation. Because he was a mad scientist. And just wanted to see what would happen if he just like went right into someone's brain? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. See if we can just make your head a little bit bigger. I don't know. Loop, loop, loop. As if your head was a balloon, but it's not <laughs> because bones are solid. <laughs> like a Mario Party game right there. Just like, let's see how much. Oh my God, right? <laughs> <laughs> like the water gun game? Yeah. <laughs> just like that. Just like that. Yep. I can see where that story comes from. So all sorts of imaginings going on here. <laughs> so this guy was insane. And yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Crow's insanity raged while his experiments continued for years. The children became more desperate and with each passing day until they finally revolted and killed him. The children set fire to the doctor's house and laboratory, destroying any and all records of the experiments that the doctor had performed on them. We're not gonna take it. (laughs) No, they were fucking out of there. They were not gonna take it anymore. (laughs) They retreated to the woods and hid outside of the world and, you know, just were fucking done. They were done. Um, Seeking food and shelter wherever they could find it. Okay. So mostly probably out in the woods. Oh, so you know those, have you seen those spooky little, um, Chris and I call them witch huts? You mean like when you find teepees in the woods yeah. of just like a teepee of sticks? Yeah. I've made some. The, oh, my gosh. I, <laughs> I've always wondered um, like who makes all those because there's a lot in this one park that we went to. Probably just, kids. I mean, I mean, they were intricate. There was like at least five or six. Dude, I made like a whole fort in the forest behind our house. That's like where all the neighborhood kids would just hang out. That is beautiful. I just think of Skyrim and then just like that music that da 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 Witch hut discovered. <laughs> we thought we were really cool. Melon like, hut discovered. Yeah. We were trying to make like tree houses in the woods just like as eight-year-olds. Ah. Oh, you know? I love it. That's beautiful. Latchkey kids. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. So they just took shelter wherever they, they, they could just find like, it. So yeah. they lived in the woods and... Well, that's the, so that is the evil Dr. Crow version of the story. And next I have the good side of Dr. Crow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's hear it out. Yeah. So the good doctor story. Dr. Crow was a gentle and loving man seeking to help the children suffering from hydrocephalus. (laughs) Oh, good guy. Yeah. This time he's a good guy. So Uh, Maybe because of his personal history, and maybe out of the goodness of his own heart, Crow took in dozens of orphans, abandoned and unwanted children, and giving them safe and secure places to call home. He was like a father who gave them unconditional love and acceptance. The neighbors were repulsed and called them melonheads, but Dr. Crow did his best to shield them from the cruel comments of others. And all was well for the unusual family until... The aging Dr. Crow suddenly died of natural causes. His adopted children were scared and alone, and with no one to care for them, enraged and fearful of the outsiders, they burned down the house with Crow inside of it and escaped into the woods. As the years passed, they continued to live out there, and the melon heads grew, 
The ones who survived reproduced, creating more disformed offspring. Tabbed. Mm-hmm. Another. The insanity was passed on, as well as the physical characteristics. Eventually, they became less human and more humanoid. Local lore depicts them as territorial and angry, responsible for attacks, kidnappings, thefts, pets and livestock for food. Oh. And also, cannibalism was not out of the question. I'm sure. Times were desperate. Times were hard. Mm-hmm. Hello, Ooh. lonely teenager. Out there. Would all... you like to come into our melon hut witch hut? <laughs> <laughs> we have some cool things to show you. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we would be easy target stuff. You know it. You'd be like, sweet, what do you have? <laughs> and I'd be like, dude, sweet. I'd be like, cool. Can I help you get more of that? <laughs> And I'd be like, I want to see. <laughs> Immediate death. But before you eat me, can I show you some better food? <laughs> That's what I'd be like. <laughs> would you, like <laughs> you could eat my foot, but. <laughs> would you be interested in some vegetables some, and some rice and whole grains? I could show you how to forage. <laughs> Backyard salads for everyone. Check out this sweet mushroom. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. There's nothing I wrong with it. foraging and like mushrooms that grow in the woods. I've eaten them before. I did not know that dandelions were like their leaves were arugula. Uh, did I say that no, right? No. Uh, so dandelion green, <laughs> you did say it right. Dandelion greens are dandelion greens and arugula is arugula. But they are both very healthy greens for you to consume. There was one time that I actually went around my neighborhood and stopped in all of the yards that did not have fertilizer signs and picked dandelion leaves and made a salad out of it. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> True story. That's great. Times were also hard. <laughs> a girl's got to eat. <laughs> Someday when we have a P.O. box, everybody just send your dandelion leaves to stuff. Ew, they'd be rotten. <laughs> oh my god maybe not in an envelope <laughs> preserved I, I'm actually really picky fresh picked or nothing I'm sorry guys <laughs> wow oh wow okay so <laughs> we do have some even more stories from Ohio there's a few of them here okay so there's a man named Tony, and he encountered a melon head in Chardon, Ohio. Tony Chardon. Chardon. Mm-hmm. Tony was driving with his family down Chillicote Road, and they came to a section of the road with fields on both sides, and there was an irrigation ditch separating the road from the fields. That's where Tony spotted him. He explained, I looked out of my window and saw him, a melon head. He or it was running next to the ditch. We were going like 45, 50 miles an hour, and the melon head was actually oh keeping God. up. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm picturing this right now, Hold and on. I'm kind of terrified. Hold on. Do you know the meme that's like, uh, it's like the 30, like coming up on millennials, and it's like this like rear view mirror, and there's a guy that's running after you. Could you imagine that too? A melon head that's just like running after you full speed. Oh my God, that's terrifying. Ooh, I'm going to try to make a meme for this, guys. <laughs> Do it, For Grace. This episode, I will. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so Tony goes on to describe the melon head's clothing as ripped down the pants. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> ripped down the pants. <laughs> okay, that's times huh. were hard. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So Tony goes on to describe the melon head's clothing, uh, ripped brown pants, white shirt with red stains, and <laughs> about five foot seven, light brown skin, large heads, two holes where ears should have been. The creature jumped into the woods after their car went around a curve of the next road. They are still fucking taller than us. Yeah, by like five <laughs> inches at least. That's so sad. <laughs> Man, 5'7 is like ever tight for most people. It is. So for all of our shorties out there, hi. Hey, shorties. Hey. We're We're all fun sized. Melon heads are taller than us. It's fine. There's tall people to grab things for you. Tall people reach stuff and see the world from a different perspective. Although sometimes when you wear like really high, high heels... Like six inch. Oh, dude! And like you feel so heels. powerful. I know. Or like my big goth platform boots. Dude, oh. those are powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're level Ooh. of power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay, so we're gonna go into nuclear experiments oh, in our whoa. next theory. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a man named Paul heard the story as a teenager. In the mid-1960s, uh, some teenagers saw melon heads walking alongside of the road into the woods, and they followed him. Deep into the woods, there was a farmhouse. Two adults, several children with malformed heads, sat on the porch. One said that he was a nuclear scientist in World War II, and the radiation exposure he suffered caused the deformalities in his children. When Paul and some of his friends went looking for the farmhouse, they were intercepted by several police officers who tried so hard to convince them that the story was fiction that they became even more convinced that the melon heads existed from nuclear exposure. That kind of reminds me of The Hills Have Eyes a little bit because there's a lot of tropes that follow that, like of like deformities. True. I mean, not necessarily hydrocephalus in that sense, right, but, but it's like, like radiation you know, it's kind exposure. of like a sub-level in a yeah. sense. Yeah. I don't know. When you said Hills Have Eyes, all I could think of was the really bad shit from that movie. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that movie was... <laughs> I forgot about, like, the actual plot. <laughs> yeah, it was really messed up. The first time I ever showed it to Chris, it was when we first started dating, and then I fell asleep, and he was forced to watch it alone. I Damn. <laughs> Your guys' early dating life was really interesting. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Exposed each other to some really fucked up shit. (laughs) And they're like, no, this is cool. It's fine. (laughs) I dig the vibes. But yeah, it has the Hills Have Eyes vibe. It has um, wrong turn vibes. So we're going to take another wrong turn all the way up to Michigan. Ooh, that's the right turn. Mm -hmm. The right right left wrong turn. (laughs) Ooh, left right game. Right over on to Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Beyond the thick forested areas, grassy dunes, and scenic waterways of Allegan County lies a small and artsy town called Sagatuck. Here lies yet another place for the melon heads called home, the Felt Mansion. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Good old Felt Mansion. So this place we have visited too, there's a lot of cool stuff to do around the area. There is a disc golf course. There is like a like a dirt bike course. There's a beach nearby. Um, 
That's personally my yeah. favorite beach of Michigan is Sagatuck. It's kind of my favorite beach too, honestly. It's like a nice hike into the woods. Yeah, and it's private because you have to hike like a mile or so to get there. And a lot of people don't want to do that. They just want to uh, just loaf like, on the beach. They mm-hmm. just want to go and loaf, yep. but it's the journey, friends. It's yeah, the journey there. It is. Like the trees are so tall and the walk is so pretty. Man. Yeah, really if I was a melon head, I'd want to live in the Felt Mansion too, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> oh, so Felt Mansion itself, like it's a huge wedding venue. Like it's a beautiful place to get married. Mm-hmm. And some of the stories that I've heard from people that have worked there in um, in catering so I think he said something. There is like the story of a little girl um, who will like go around late at night and just like knock stuff off the shelves. <laughs> but like after midnight, you know, when they're all cleaning up and all of the guests have left and everything. And sometimes you have to go down to the basement for something. And mm-hmm. there has been sightings of this like little girl running around and things falling off the shelves and all sorts of weird stuff. Ooh, causing the chaos. Uh-huh. I like it. So to get a little bit into the history of Felt Mansion, it was in the early 1900s that the Felt family moved to Saugatuck and fell completely in love with the area. In 1919, Dor Eugene Felt purchased a few hundred acres along the lakeside of Michigan, and he called this estate Shore Acre Farms. Mm. Felt was a poor machinist from Wisconsin who invented the first office processing machine called the Comp. Pum, com, called the comptometer. Comptometer. <laughs> the comptometer. <laughs> uh, so like a big chunky device that looks like a calculator. Word. <laughs> yeah. Table-sized, uh, shelf-sized calculator. <laughs> so Okay. So side note, I work in an office and there's um, these little things that print off receipts. You know, when you type in the calculator and then it goes doop and then it... Co- like, yeah. Prints it off. Yeah. It prints it off. Was it the archaic version of that, I wonder? Uh, yeah, like the 1919 version of wow. that. Wow. Like super early. The comptometer. Comptometer. <laughs> <laughs> so like that's a pretty huge invention. That's big. Like Thank he invented rev- the calculator. Thank you for revolutionizing, <laughs> revolutionizing was, my office life. I appreciate it. It started there and it got a lot better after that. <laughs> started from the bottom. <laughs> we had to start somewhere. So six years after his invention, uh, Dor Eugene Felt began construction on a stunning seasonal homestead for his wife, Agnes. Together, the couple planned to spend their summers relaxing amidst the West Michigan beautiful nature. The cute. Tw- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> cute. <laughs> Super cute. <laughs> so the 12 the 12,000 square foot home was finally completed in 1928. But sadly, Agnes only got to live 6 weeks in that house. Dude. And then she that's died. That's really frustrating. Yeah. I know. Spent like a decade building that place for her. And How, how old were they? Uh, I have it in here somewhere. I would assume that they're older because, I mean, they're retiring. They're just trying to build, like, a mm-hmm. nice, like, lakeside home, like, on their last few moments of life. Yeah. And then it's one of those things you hold on to something. Right. Until it's time. Yeah, like your wife. And after she yeah. died, he died a year and a half later. Wow. I know. Isn't that sad? Yeah, that is. And that's also something that's – you hear that a lot. A lot with, like, couples that have been together for a long time. Like, so they must have been older. 
That's what I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. Man. So by 1949, the Shore Acre Farms and the mansion were purchased by a Catholic preparatory school for boys, also known as St. Augustine Seminary. In the following years, the estate served as a place for nuns and a state prison. Until finally, the Lake Town Township bought the property for public use and restoration for one dollar. One dollar in the nineteen nineties. Yeah. We are in um, a housing yeah. market so, crisis right now, yeah. and you're telling me that they bought this beautiful place for one dollar. <laughs> well, okay, so it went from like being built in the nineteen twenties to then just like probably being abandoned, and then by the nineteen 50s, that's when it was turned into like this Catholic preparatory school. And then it became a state hospital. Well, a state prison, I think. Um, And then it was abandoned, I think. And then by the 1990s, it was probably pretty not well off. And nobody wanted to have anything to do with it. And it was sold for, yeah, $1. Holy shit. I'm going to try to dig and find some pictures of it like before. And these. (gasps) Yes, please. Wow. That would be amazing. I'm just, okay, I'm just going to cry in dollar bills right now. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine buying a huge <laughs> estate like that? Well, if it was completely decrepit. I don't decrepit think about it. And you had to, like, you know, fix it up to make it livable, and that would cost millions of dollars. I can see why the whole property sold for $1, because of the repairs that you would need to do anything with it. Hi, DIY YouTube. <laughs> okay, Grace, that's a stretch. Come on. <laughs> Lumber is expensive. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry that we're talking about depressing things, everybody. (laughs) The housing market, the cost of lumber. This is the world we live in today. So you know what? It is what it is. (laughs) Shit. Uh, So a group of teens snuck out to vandalize Felt Mansion before the official restoration began in 2000. It was in the middle of the night, and a man in a horse-drawn cabot in a horse-drawn cabbage. Dude, this is... <laughs> what such, is this, Cinderella? Well, hold on. Yeah, this is such a vibe. I love it. <laughs> In a horse-drawn cabbage. <laughs> and he said, would you melon heads like some vegetables? <laughs> and it some turns out for it wasn't a man, it was Steph. And said, let me show you the world of vegetables and foraging <laughs> and some dandelion leaves. I, I got can show you, you where the, the field I, of chives. <laughs> I can show you the world. <laughs> We know where the good mushrooms are. Show us those good. Show us the good goods. Oh my god! <laughs> Blooper real content, right? Oh no, I th- I'm thinking about keeping it. Okay. <laughs> so this horse-drawn carriage or cabbage, whatever you like. <laughs> um. Wow. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So. Th- <laughs> This is really adding to the paranormal spooky vibes. A horse-drawn cabbage. I'd be freaked out. Not going to lie. Either way, it definitely freaked out these teenagers, and they got the fuck out of there. I am a paranormal cabbage. (laughs) Wow. All right. Eat your vegetables, children. Eat the broccoli. Eat the kimchi. (laughs) Well, fuck, I love kimchi. That is the only vegetable I will accept. The only cabbage I will accept. (laughs) I agree, yeah. It's the only cabbage I want. It's kimchi. Please Mm, and thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
All right. So we have another another story, a paranormal sighting from somebody who lived in Lake Town Township for over 12 years. And they said that they've heard some wild stories about Felt Mansion. They said that many visitors would recall seeing children playing atop of the stairs and then jumping off the balcony of the house. But then they just disappear. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Shadow people were commonly seen around Felt Mansion as well. They'd appear, taking on the form of a human, but with a darker and more shadowy presence around them. Witnesses also reported hearing heavy breathing, tiny footsteps, as well as catching glimpses of shadowy silhouettes darting around inside Mm. and around the forlorn structure. Doors that were locked shut would be mysteriously unlocked and open on their own. And always there is that feeling that you're being watched. The Felt Mansion and its grounds are rumored to be haunted by Dora and Agnes Felt, but there is something else lurking in the dark corners of the surrounding area. Melonheads. Melonheads. So the legend has it that Felt Mansion has long served as a hiding spot for melonheads. So behind that uh, dirt biking track that I told you about earlier that's near the mansion, um, there's a building that stands there. And some people say that it is the remains of an insane asylum. According to the legend, the facility was commissioned by the state government to treat children who were affected by a rare condition known as hydrocephalus. Hmm. Mm -hmm. The same condition we heard about in the other stories. It's all coming together. Tabbed. They say that a family who lived near the area gave birth to a brood of deformed children with massively oversized heads. And it turns out they suffered from hydrocephalus. The children were then shipped off to the old insane asylum where a terrifying madman performed twisted experiments on them. Another tab. Another tab. The children already suffered severe mental and physical deficiencies due to their disease. By now, they were in improper care while being constantly experimented on. They continued to mutate until they were hardly even human anymore. They became little more than wild animals. So it kind of makes sense. I mean, all of that mutilation and experimentation, like, I'd be pretty pissed off. People who were suffering from these kind of ailments would be pretty mad as well. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. One version of the story about the asylum says that it closed due to lack of funding, and by this time the melon heads had become so feral to the point that the asylum deemed that they could no longer be placed in human institutions. So they just released them to the surrounding forest. Release the melon heads! Just like, go free! (laughs) (laughs) Go on, get! Go on, get! You're animals now! (laughs) Be free, little ones! Wow, that's not like... Taking in a bird with a wounded wing and then just like setting it free I again. I hate it. I fucking that's hate terrible. it. Why would they... That's a that's a really fucked Assholes. up theory. I hate I know. it. Um, another version of the story says that the children were sick and tired of being guinea pigs, so that they, so they devised a plan to escape the asylum and to get rid of the doctor once and for all. On one rainy night, they attacked the mad scientist, escaping the hospital with his body and fled into the woods. The children had no place to hide the body, so they chopped him up into tiny pieces, which they scattered throughout the mansion. That is sinister. Rumors exist that teenagers who had broken into the mansion saw ghosts of these children. They claimed to see shadows through the light coming from the open door, which displayed the scene of the doctor's murder. Oh, okay. 
Mm-hmm. You're just breaking in, and then you just see this like shadow of I just imagine it's a like a ghostly very large reenactment, bulbous head, and then a knife, and then just he he he, <laughs> just like chopping up the doctor, bit <laughs> chop 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 bit. chop chop. <laughs> wow. So another version of the story says that the melon heads completely lost their sense of humanity, so they revolted against the doctor and feasted on his flesh before scattering his bones around the felt mansion. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so they could have just chopped him up, scattered him, uh, or they could have eaten his flesh before scattering the bones. I don't know. All sorts of theories here. Wow. So they say that the melon heads resided inside Felt Mansion because it was very large and it had many places for them to hide. This was during the time when it was abandoned. I mean, yeah, it's a beautiful mansion to them. It is. And later, once it was sold and then renovated, they retreated to a system of underground tunnels. So the Michigan legend maintains that there was the presence of an asylum which the children escaped or were released from. And this is for all the variations of the story that we shared. But according to the Allegheny County Historical Society, no asylum ever existed. Although there was a prison, but nonetheless, the details of the story have been part of folklore for decades. Okay, also tabbed. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Like they came from an asylum, except for there never was one. (laughs) Another rumor says that the term Melonhead supposedly came from the students who attended the Felt Mansion when it was a seminary in 1949. Evidently, the name was coined to be describing smart kids. So one of the students from the seminary recalled, in his words, quote, Rumors start because of the unknown. Melonheads were actually seminaries at St. Augustine's in the Felt Mansion. The local kids call us that because it was a private school and we were all brainy, unquote. Somehow the term got completely twisted and tied to the hydrocephalic, hydrocephalic forest living children. Yeah. So I could see like, you're so uh, smart, you melonhead. Yeah, but that then, makes like, a lot of sense. All of this like folklore about melon heads being deformed and bred children or experimented on asylum patients. I mean, yeah. So is this where we kind of mix all the tabs together? Okay, so we have legends from Europe. And we have legends from Connecticut, Ohio, and Michigan. Yeah, and they're all like pretty similar, right? A little yeah. different. What What do you think? Okay, so let's just find thoughts? yeah, let's find the common underlying themes. I noted like some kind of witchery. Of course, there's a lot of incest, a lot of inbreeding. There's some mad scientists as well. And there's also a means of describing smart children. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's the nuclear uh the radiation exposure. The radiation exposure. And that one seemed isolated. I don't think that one crossed over anything else than yeah, just the that one. one was, yeah, that one was a wild card. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, the inner anthropologist in me wants to tackle the Melungeon one or Melungeon. Oh, Melungeon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I hope I said that right. I'm not sure if it's Melungeon or Melungeon. Melungeon. <laughs> so that was to describe a mixed race of people. And They, you know, retreated into the woods where they retreated to be away from society to remove themselves. So that way they didn't have to deal with anybody else's bullshit. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that translates to a lot of these, like, 
the Melonheads retreated to the forest because society could not accept them. They did. Yeah, they just, you know, wanted to say, fuck you guys. Like, we're just going to live our life. Right? Like, stop fucking with me. I'm just going to live over here. Just leave me alone so I can live in peace in the woods. But then it becomes kind of like a rumor because when, when people aren't integrated in society and they're like, no, fuck you. We're going to do our own thing. They're considered different. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why won't you conform to the society, these belief systems? Why won't you fit this cookie cutter mold of everything that's happening? Right. Why must you remove yourself? Why must you be the outside crust of the cookie cutter? Uh-huh. And so rumors are spread and saying, oh, yeah, they fucked each other. And they did this and this and that. Or just creating and dividing more of a sense of the otherness than what was yeah, already so it present. Just like, yeah, it just kind of builds more and more and more on that like yes. separation from one society to these outcasts. Yes. We could also possibly link that to... The brainiacs of the felt mansion as well because they're so smart and what uh, all these other kids were just like super jealous and like okay i'm just gonna slack off not get good grades but oh my gosh you're so smart you're a melon head yeah well it's like you know like private school kids versus exactly. public yeah. public school kids you know like oh you're you're a smart brainiac you know melon yeah heads. i can just think like pinky's up like oh <laughs> it can go both ways it i've could. seen it go both ways in that sense <laughs> But yeah, it's another thing like the super, super brainiac. There is like a level of human jealousy or, you know, striving to be better or want to do better for yourself. But you look at what others have, like what they have or what they can do and what their mind capacity is. What are they capable of? And you create these stories maybe out of fear or jealousy because it's yeah. something that you're not familiar with. It, it's unknown. So you try to tax something onto it that makes sense to you when it probably has no basis in reality whatsoever or very little, if any, you know? Yes. There was a train of thought going on there, too. I'm sorry. I totally. No, no, that was good. No, I wanted to add on to that train of thought. So there is another one of the tropes of deformities in horror movies just as we also discussed in this episode of the hills have eyes and wrong turn um the trope is just hillbilly cannibal deformity inbred monster people (laughs) eat destroy nightmares (laughs) yes exactly the stuff of nightmares from society Uh uh-huh yes and that's a sense of otherness there's also maybe the nuclear disaster it'd be really interesting to create a full-ass timeline on all these events and when the first urban legend occurred and pairing it with things that were going on in society at that time such as the release of a movie or some kind of popular culture to see how these things these legends are spread i have a theory Yes. So in the early, so in the World War II era, there seemed to be a lot of the, you know, otherness that people have just been like pushed to the edge of society. But then maybe the asylum stories came about in like the 1940s through the 1960s when asylums were in a really rough shape. Yeah, they were. If you haven't listened to our, um, Traverse City State Hospital episodes, there's a lot of good information about what society was like what the mental health and asylum society was like at that time and it was barbaric 
it was scary. There were a lot of weird experimentations going on. So oh, yeah. a lot of that was just kind of thrown around in stories at that time. So Ooh, I got goosebumps. You know? <laughs> I just got goosebumps with talking about all this. That's right. Wow. So like crazy experiments would go on and then, you know, people would get fed up with it and kill their doctors or flee or try to escape. Yeah. You know, so who's to say somebody didn't escape and then just try to go live in the woods? I think that did help happen in Traverse City. That there were somebody told me that there were signs posted around the area to like not pick up hitchhikers because of how often people would escape from the asylums. When uh, side note, when did hitchhiking laws become officially, you know, illegal of you can't pick up hitchhikers anymore? Because I don't exactly know, but I want to say like in the 2000s, because I think it was still a thing like pre 2000. I want to think so, too, because my mom picked up a lot of hitchhikers because, of Mm -hmm. course, she fucking would. Yeah. And there's this one old guy that like smelled like piss and she just picked him up and I was like, Mom, he's really fucking creepy (laughs) being, like, eight years old and sitting in the middle of, like, this truck and being forced to sit by, like, a potential – I don't know. I mean, he could have been, like, an old – he honestly, I'm still alive today, so he wasn't a killer. Well, that's good. Yeah. Man, I have never picked up a hitchhiker. I've never been in a car with anybody who picked up a hitchhiker. I mean, like, who knows? It could have been – It could be anybody. It's really scary. It's, yeah, a complete stranger on the side of the road and you have no yeah. idea. But at the same time, I don't know. We could go on tangents about this. We but. really could. So going back into don't pick up hitchhikers. Okay. Yeah. Or don't pick yeah. up melon heads. Don't let them steal your car as well. But if you actually see one, like, okay, so here's something. We don't have any solid evidence that melon heads exist. There are drawings and there are like old pictures from the 1940s, but there is nothing to prove that they actually exist. These stories, though, I wonder what happened, especially the Blue Granada. I know. That's that a wild is, one. That one is wild. It I love that It sounds like one. a wild that, 1980s story. Like <laughs> That picture is just so – I got goosebumps again. It's I know. just so beautifully painted because I love goosebumps as well, and it just had goosebumps vibes. <laughs> Somebody tell us, was this actually a goosebumps story? Because it just feels like it was. <laughs> uh, yeah. The Blue Granada. The Blue Man. Granada. Oh. Or was their car actually – wow. I mean, or maybe some kids just Could uh, be. were waiting for an opportunity. They're like, huh, these high schoolers. But we don't know. We don't know any of these things. So if someone has actually seen a melon head, please let us know. We would love to hear about it. Yeah. Or if you've ever experienced a haunting at Felt Mansion, we're going to be doing some Listener Tale episodes soon. So send it in if you have experienced anything. Very soon we would like that we would like to air that in November. We would like to air that as soon as we are able to. Soon as we are able to. That's <laughs> so true. But we are counting on you. <laughs> Crickets and in inbox. <laughs> no, we got what, one actually just one tonight. Person, what? We oh, got yeah. one tonight. Yeah, we did. And then uh-huh. we, we got uh, someone that just said hi. So that means you have to do a backflip soon. Okay, find me on trampoline. I'll do a backflip. <laughs> or we can go to one of those places. but that A trampoline re- park? Please, Mom, can we go? Uh, I don't know. It costs money. <laughs> Cries in dollar bills. <laughs> Save that dollar bill in my felt mansion. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess speaking of which, this can bring us to um, some updates of, yeah, we're going to release release the Patreon. 
The Patreon is coming, guys. In November. Mm-hmm. That's a for sure. Yeah, we we're can't make we it can't, happen. We, we can't deny it. We can't hide it any longer. No. It's coming in November. We're telling you, Patreon, it's happening. So if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a subscription site where you can, one, listen to all of the episodes, and two, you can sign up for different tiers. Um, so you'll pay like a couple of dollars or maybe more. There's different setups for how much you want out of it. So for each tier, you will get a certain amount of things like maybe merchandise or bonus episodes, a shout out on the podcast. Yes. It will all be up there. So you'll just head to patreon.com probably slash your spooky neighbors, but we'll tell you about it when it actually launches. Um, But you can support us on there. It would be super awesome. If you wanted to help support us on Patreon, we'll have stuff for you. Yes, we are working on it this weekend. We are so excited and we will show you what the stuff is. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. As soon as we get more of those details. So it's in it's we're we're planning it. It's in the works, guys. Well, I love this episode. This This was was great. Mm hmm. This was a nice break from murder. There was a lot of murder going on the previous week. Yeah, yeah, there really was a lot of murder. I mean, there was a lot of potential murder and eating of flesh and doctors in this one. But I know folklore stories. I love urban legends and folklore. Me too. If you guys know of any that we haven't covered, let us know. Yeah, even if it's out of Michigan, too, if you're listening from another state, it's like a game of telephone where you can just tell us and we'll just do it. Mm-hmm. Just like, hey, I heard about this. And we'll like, research, research, research. Type, 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 type. I say we and I mean Gracie. <laughs> <laughs> She's the rabbit hole surfer on this. <laughs> Hi, hello. <laughs> and thank you guys for listening, for being there, for shouting us out. We love you all. Literally, you blow our minds every single week. Yeah. We love you. We love you. So come back and listen again. And if you liked this episode, find us on Facebook and Instagram. Give us a like and a follow and maybe say hi. And we'll say hi back. And maybe I'll do two (laughs) backflips. I will not do any of them. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) I got hurt twice this week putting up Halloween decorations. That's it. Twice. I just had a better idea. What? So I started yoga teacher training and I'm getting a bit more dedicated into my practice and I've got some cool poses that I can do now that I couldn't do before. Maybe I'll do a flying pigeon or a bird of paradise for the next person that says hi. That's a realistic thing. That is a realistic (laughs) goal. Yeah, Steph is in yoga teacher training now. That's another update. So everyone just... If, you know, if you're listening now, just like literally send us a Gmail, yourspookyneighbors at gmail.com and tell her she's doing a fucking awesome job because this is like her third job, okay? (laughs) And she's killing it. So, you know what? Come on back next week. Halloween. (gasps) Halloween. Okay. We we have some really good ones. We are so fucking excited. I'm not apologizing for my language. We are so fucking excited. So with that, we will see you next week. See you next week, guys. And crack a few cold ones next week then. (laughs) Party style with your spooky neighbors. Bye. Bye. Bye.